If you're visiting, um, uh, you can be exempt from this social project because that could be a bit awkward. And you know, I don't want your first impression of All Saints to be like this guy asking you to get your wallet out. <laughs> not a great, not a great first impression. Okay, um, have you got a contactless card? Look, nervous laughter uh, is really. Uh, now, I'd just like you to swap it with someone next to you. Uh, someone he, he thinks, well, is he serious? We're not sure. <laughs> Don't know whether he did or he did. Joy's now going to bring our reading, um, and we will um, see <laughs> whether you regret not swapping. Um, Joy. Acts 4, verse 32 through. To as far as she goes. The believers share their possessions. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to us men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. A challenging, disturbing, 
inspiring story, which we will uh, get into um, over the next 25 minutes, half hour or so. Um, I grew up in a church in Cardiff um, uh, that was the same church that contained a certain Rob Parsons, who some of you may have, have heard of. Um, care for the family, fame, all that sort of good stuff. Um, he wrote this book called The Money Secret. Um, and it's one of these like parable tales. And it's got this like secret that it promises you um, is coming. Uh, and, it's, and it's kind of, okay, the secret is this. I'll just spoil it for you. The secret is um, try to have more money, try to, to, try to make sure that you don't have more money going out than you've got coming in. That's basically it, um, which is a little bit of an anticlimax for me reading through this book. Um, and it's that good practical wisdom, and that's what it's aiming to do, is to um, just open people's eyes to that simple reality of, of money management and um, relieving, speaking into the problem that is debt um, in our country. The good news is that I've got a much more exciting money secret up for us to get to. And just like Rob, I'll leave it hanging until towards the end, just to keep you, keep you with me, if I may. Um, but a disturbing passage. What do we consider is to be well off? What is abundance? What is prosperity? Laura corrects my use of, well, she doesn't correct it, but she has, feels like she has to explain my use of the word um, rich, and so we're catching up with some friends who, you know, haven't been hanging around with me for a, a little while, and I'll just say, so, I'll, I use this word rich in the middle of my, you know, I just feel so, I feel so rich um, right now, and, and what I mean is just like this sort of like grateful for all of the, the blessing um, that, that, is, that is in my life one way or another, and life is just stimulating and wonderful, and they're thinking, um, he feels so, so wealthy right now, and Laura's like, no, trying to translate for me um, on this, uh, which is, is funny. Not that funny. Um, <laughs> do we actually believe it, though? Um, like, these, these alternative, imaginative definitions of abundance, prosperity, wealth, rich, like, where our treasure is. We, we sing the songs that we do. And we nod along, and in our hearts, we kind of want to say yes. But um, do our bank statements just look exactly the same as all of our peers who don't nod along in their hearts with all of this stuff? And if so, is that a problem? Is that a big problem? Is that a frightening, sobering problem? Is that a matter of life and death? A quick bit of um, biblical literacy, as we're getting used to this year. Uh, we started the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, and you see the vocation on humanity is to bear God's image, to reflect something of God, to nurture, uh, to bring out uh, the life. That is the basic vocation of humanity, to nurture, to bless, to care. By chapter 12, things have gone very wrong, um, but again, God takes a man, Abraham, blesses him, he receives in order to give. He's elect on behalf of everyone else, chosen on behalf of of, of everyone else. That's how this, this thing works. He receives in order to give. He's to carry and to reflect God's blessing, his goodness, to bear God's image. Then we get to book number two in the Bible, Exodus. We have a picture at this point. 
and the picture is entirely different. We come face to face with precisely the opposite reality. Not image bearing, but image defacing. And, and ancient Egypt within the, the biblical narrative is held out as this anti-type, this kind of opposite of, of the impulse of God. And so this is, um, you, could, you could describe it kind of in economic terms as an economy of extraction in the most kind of vivid picture of an economy of extraction where um, the wealth gets sucked up to the top and there's slavery and oppression. People are used and abused along the way. The wealth is extracted and inequalities grow wider and the plight of the poor is ignored. And of course that makes us think of the horrors of this week and of Grenfell Tower. In what might be, I think, the, the, one of the richest, if not the richest borough in the country with an average wealth of 120K. If they shared out all of the income in that place, each person would have 120K income. And yet the median wage, like the middle wage, is around 32,000. So half, the, half of the, the people there live, live way under that. And that's been horribly, horrifically uh, exposed in that when that, the kind of the ugly housing of the poor is given that facelift, we want to save a few thousand pounds, take a risk with them. And it's abhorrent. And so, Lord, wake us up as a country. Have mercy on us, we pray. And I think that the church can, not necessarily, but can have something to say into this moment, into this national conversation, but only insofar as we are fleshing out boldly, bravely, that the bold opposite to the ways of Egypt. The disregard for the poor is the stuff of Egypt. It's Antichrist. We need to be embarking on a bold opposite approach. What might that look like? In 2015, the New York Times ran a, um, we can go to the next slide, ran a, a uh, long article describing the working conditions in, um, in a big global, in the HQ office, the new offices in a city in America for a, a, um, a household name. You'll all be familiar with this, this global company. See if you can guess. Um, who I'm talking about, and it was a fascinating read. Um, it said this, uh, the workers here are encouraged to tear apart one another's ideas in meetings, toil long and late. Emails arrive past midnight, followed by text messages asking why they were not answered and held to standards that the company boasts are unreasonably high. The internal phone directory instructs colleagues on how to send secret feedback messages to one another's bosses. Employees say that it is frequently used to sabotage others. Many of the newcomers filing in on Mondays may not be there in a few years. The company's winners dream up innovations that they roll out to a quarter of billion customers and accrue small fortunes in soaring stock. Losers leave or are fired in annual cullings of the staff. Purposeful Darwinism, one former human resources director said, i.e. like a survival of the fittest culture. Some workers who suffered personal crises said they had been edged out rather than given time to recover. Even as the company tests delivery by drone and ways to restock toilet paper at the push of a button, do you know who it is yet? 
um, it is conducting a little known experiment in how far it can push white collar workers, redrawing the boundaries of what is acceptable. Their top recruiter, Susan Harker, explains, when you're shooting for the moon, the nature of the work is really challenging. For some people, it doesn't work. Bo Olson was one of them. He lasted less than two years in a book marketing role and said that his enduring image was one of watching people weep in the office. You walk out of a conference room and you'll see a grown man covering his face. He said, nearly every person I worked with, I saw cry at their desk. Thanks in part to its ability to extract the most from its employees, the company is stronger than ever. Its swelling campus is transforming a swathe of the city, a 10 million square, this is Seattle, I believe, a 10 million square foot bet that tens of thousands of new workers will be able to sell everything to everyone everywhere. Last month, it eclipsed Walmart, this is back in 2015, it eclipsed Walmart as the most valuable retailer in the US with a market valuation of 250 billion, it's gonna be more now. And Forbes deemed Mr. Bezos the fifth wealthiest person on earth. We might say he is demanding the same quantity of bricks, but without supplying the straw. This is, of course, Amazon. Except for the last line, that was me, except it was straight out of the Bible, Exodus 5, describing the economy of extraction in ancient Egypt. Back to the biblical story, and eventually the uh, Israelite slaves are dramatically led out of that oppressive situation, and they're led out into the, the promised land to be something different. And there's whole books of rules, regulations about, you know, exactly how they're to order their society, and it's kind of, a lot, much of it is in conversation with surrounding cultures, a sort of counterpoints, counterexample, an anti-type to Egypt. Uh, and then you get to this bit in Deuteronomy chapter 15, where one of the details, the particulars of how they're to do things, is including this fantastic, beautiful detail called the year of Jubilee. And Deuteronomy 15, verse one says this, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan that they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. It must, it's probably worth um, explaining as well that there were ways that you could become God's people. So this isn't like some rationale for putting up a bigger wall and being like, we look after ourselves. No. Um, uh, let me just carry on. But you may require payment from a foreigner but you must cancel any debt that your fellow Israelite owes you. Verse four, here's the crucial bit. There will, however, be no one in need among you. Part of God's people are not part of God's people. There will, however, be no one in need among you. This is the year of Jubilee. And the sharp-eared among you may just have heard an echo from the reading that Joy brought, where the writer, Dr. Luke, says, and there was no one in need among them. Act is, of course, the echo. Deuteronomy came first, and this is a deliberate link. If you line up, you can check it out with like, the Greek version of the Old Testament that Luke would have been familiar with, and it's a deliberate kind of like nicking of the words. Deuteronomy says, there will be no one in need among you. Acts 4 says, and there was no one in need among them. What does he mean? In other words, this is Jubilee now. In other words, the kingdom of God has arrived. How do things look with God as boss? That's essentially the story of Acts. This is how things look as we join in with the impulses of God and we arrange our prototype society 
around the, the, around the truth that Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar, not Pharaoh, no one else. This, and we've got to remember that Acts is essentially the sequel as well to Luke's Gospels. So this is the same author who wrote about Jesus in chapter 4, at the beginning of his ministry, when he walks into the synagogue and he takes the big Isaiah scroll and he turns to that jubilee passage and he reads out, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to set the prisoners free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. To say it's jubilee now this is the picture you can be a part of that you can enter into this alternative beautiful reality this way of ordering yourselves who wants who wants to be a part of it i'm pleased to say that we catch some brilliant glimpses of this this jubilee reality in our community you know when someone sends that email that i received maybe a year or so ago that said Hey guys, I've got this great idea. How about we, we club together to um, buy, you know, to collect enough money together that we could, we could buy a new roof for a family who needed, needed a new roof on their house? Um, what about uh, some of the ways that, that people are, are living together, exploring a sort of communal aspect to sharing life together? What about when that person knows that they are always welcome at that table? I love it when tax returns get queried because the proportions that are being given away are raising eyebrows. When our PCC members give bucket loads of their time and their energy into serving, whether it's like our, our communal finances, um, looking after the buildings, uh, uh, administrating things like food bank, um, when Fiona gives up return to some other career for the sake of joining in with the ministry of cap preaching good news to the the captives to death you know jubilee is here it's in our midst you can be a part of this alternative ordering of things it's where the life is that's that's kind of what i'm saying uh, one of the things i like to think of you know all those bits of tupperware Yours, 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 that kind of wash up in, in, other, people's, um, in other people's kitchens. I like to think of these, these things as tokens of, of jubilee. They're only tokens, though, just as a, as a caveat. Jesus, he did say, come dine with me. But he also went on to say, come die with me. To steal Rich's observation from last week. What a line. So the, the, you know, it's not enough to be taking that meal round to kind of make ourselves feel better about some bad situation. Actually, this is the, the token that helps us lean into a whole different system. It doesn't just pacify our conscience so that we can carry on business as normal. It's the gateway into a system of jubilee. That's what we're about. As we throw in our lot all together, that is what takes, takes form. And we join in with the same impulse of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church. It's like, this is what we're doing. We're doing Jubilee now. And we can join in with that. So I did one of those Tough Mudder runs. Um, if anyone come across this, it's like all the rage, you know, where you, you pay, I think it was like 70 quid um, to, uh, for the privilege of running about 12 kilometers through 
um, beautiful countryside with uh, severe obstacles in the way. You can just see, and you can't. In the next one, you can, this was the before shot. Got my game face on. I was up for this. And uh, halfway round, you can see one of the walls that we had to get over. Um, here's the thing with Tough Matter. When you start and you're all like pumped and they take you into this, can only be described as like sort of a holding pen at the start line because you have to climb over a wall to get into it. It's probably a way of weeding out those people who should never start um, <laughs> this thing. Um, and, they, and they kind of like psych you up a bit and they say, and they make you essentially take this pledge that this is a team game. You do this together. We will leave no one behind. You know, all of this stuff. And I'm, yeah, we will leave no one behind. Sounding great, of course, inspirational. Until um, two kilometers in, and it becomes clear that one of our five, I won't let you guess which one, um, had not really prepared uh, for, for this challenge. <laughs> and you get to an obstacle, it's like, and where is he? Oh, yeah, and you have to wait, and it's um, infuriating. And, and I'd like to say that as this kind of, this was my, I was doing it with my brother, who's seven years younger than me, and all his um, university friends. And so I was like, you know, the older, um, wiser character in the, in the mix there. I, I was the one at Vicar College at the time. So, you know, character-wise, I, I should have been um, leading the way, surely. I was the one running, I mean, it's just brought out the absolute worst in me. I was the one running alongside the other members of our team being like, we've got to leave him behind. <laughs> we've, paid, we've paid good money for this and we're just kind of getting and stopping. This isn't a challenge, this is ridiculous. He's just got to, you know, um, we'll, we'll meet him at the end, it's fine. Thankfully, um, none of them could be persuaded by my um, insensitivity and I'm so glad because then we did eventually cross the line altogether and um, I don't regret that. Um, so much for like the son of encouragement that um, Barnabas is described as in there. I was more of the Ananias and Sophia, Fira example in our, our reading there. And it, gives us, it gave me this, this window um, and you know, perhaps a, uh, not the most crucial example uh, situation in the world, but it give, gives us a window actually on a reality in my heart, which is that I can be repeatedly tempted to believe that I'm better off leaving people behind, or better off um, not taking on the inconvenience of someone, better off not sharing my stuff, sharing my time, sharing my table. And this is a message that I repeatedly have to preach to myself this mindset that actually the truth is different to the impulse that would have me attempt to run off into the distance on my own, or even just with half the team. Ananias and Sapphira, it seems really harsh. It's like, what's going on there? This couple who, maybe they were, you know, well, maybe they were newcomers, and they saw the others, and, and I thought, oh yeah, we, we could join in with this. I don't think so. Actually, I think they were at the center of things at a crucial time, and in their half-heartedness, in their kind of hedging, hedging their bets, they were trampling on this critical work of God's Spirit, and so they received one way or another, however you kind of come across it, I think it's presented as receiving this kind of advance judgment, as, as the God who judges to make way for life needs to say no. 
This community, this prototype community, is so important for the sake of the rest of the world. And that's a sobering reality to us. This community is so important for the rest of the world that actually our devotion, our showing up, our being all in, our throwing a lot in with one another, our leaning into this new way of being together is a matter of life and death. And it's a matter of life and death, not just for some cozy Christian club that we might be, you know, looking after ourselves. It's a matter of life or death for the rest of the world because there's this sign, this potential for witness that witnesses to every decision maker deciding on whether to clad with this material or that material, whether to ignore the plight of the poor or to take serious some responsibility in society. It's a witness to them. Every temptation to kind of do that, actually this church can be this like, no, look at the truth and the beauty and the hope of our togetherness, our linking hands with one another and saying, no, we are all in this together. That is the spiritual profound truth of things. And so as we are apathetic about going for it, as we are one foot in once a month and getting on with our life as normal, as our bank statement doesn't portray anything different to our peers who don't have that once a month pattern into here. We're robbing one another and we're failing to be the witness that we need to be in this day, in this country. My money secret, this is the end. It's not my money secret. The, the, the more exciting money secret than just sort of staying in the black is this. As it's not this like terrible duty to throw our lot in with one another. As we do that, as we make some like ridiculous sacrifice, as we give some extraordinary generous gift, you find that you're richer than ever. You don't know what you have until you share it. That's where the, I've said it before, here's the money secret. The best thing to do with the best things in life is to give them away. And suddenly you find an abundance in life that you have not imagined, an irrepressible joy that has been elusive hitherto. It's exciting. It's an invitation to be part of what God is doing, to join in with this interrupting impulse that interrupts greed as normal, that interrupts use and abuse and me first as normal with something so much better, Some, something that you were made for, that everyone was made for. How might we do that really practically? Just three things, three suggestions. Number one, uh, do something superb in secret. Perhaps like once a year is a pretty good, like, I mean, you've got to plan for this, perhaps. Um, you might be able to do a whole kind of different scale of these things more frequently. You might get really into this. But as, if, it, if it's been a year since you did something spectacular in secret for somebody else, um, it's probably due, I would say. Um, and, it's got, and, it, and this is the thing, it's so much fun. <laughs> um, I'm absolutely convinced by it. It's, it's where the life is, the best thing to do with our stuff our resources is to steward them for the common good and to surprise people with the interruption of, of the gospel. Go for it. Uh, number two, um, so that's kind of like helping yourself. 
um, doing something superb in secret. Number two, actually, we could all be catalysts of this. We could be the people who, I've received that email saying, hey, I've got a great idea. Um, how, how about joining in? And it enabled a load of us to join in with this impulse of the spirit. You could be that catalyst. You could come up with that idea. You could see that need, and you could send that email to the right group of people saying, hey, I've got this great idea. How about we do this? And away it goes. Beautiful. Number three, gear up for giving. And so when those big structural decisions come along, like which car, which accommodation to rent, which mortgage to go for, which school to consider, actually gear yourself in such a way that you're able, as fully as you can, to join in with the impulse of the spirit that has, puts flesh on this, on this togetherness in, in the most meaningful ways. Um, if you're not chucking your, your bit into the pot, go for it. It's great. You get to hold hands with all the, all the stuff that CAP is doing. You get to have your, 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 your name sticker kind of, not literally, but in your heart on, on food. But you get to own the beauty, the jubilee that is happening here. Uh, why wouldn't you? Um, come, and, come and jump in. It's great. We're all in this together. This is not just our cozy club. It's prophetic witness to the rest of the world, to all those decision makers wondering whether they can get away with saving a few quid here, a few quid there, ignoring the plight of the poor. Let's cross the line together. We don't want to leave people behind. Let's seriously inconvenience ourselves with one another, because that's where the life is. Amen? Let's stand.